The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. All right. It is Sunday night, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you once again for joining me here. I'm your host, Rob Kramer. This is Sports Talk New York, right here on Long Island's WGBB 95.9. Uh, you can check us out on uh, online. Check us out on our website, WGBB Radio. Check us out. Um, uh, you, we got the live stream going up. You can check me out, actually, on YouTube right now. Check out the live stream that I got going on under Coffee with Kramer over there. And uh, I'm your host, Rob Kramer, so thanks for sticking around here, 9 p.m. on this beautiful, very hot Sunday night in the 90s today. We've officially rolled into summer. Uh, got a lot going on tonight, a lot in the sports world. Um, you know, Jacob deGrom and the Mets, the, the first place Mets, that is, uh, just off to one of the greatest starts of all time, deGrom, on a very short list of uh, the, uh, you know, Especially in his first nine starts in baseball history, Jacob Degrom is among, you know, one of the most impressive, without a doubt. Um, we we got the Yankees playing tonight on Sunday Night Baseball. Currently, they're up three uh, one. They you know the the Yankees still running out there a uh, a a lineup that's not uh, running on all cylinders right now to say the least. But they're getting good pitching, just like the Mets are, especially from their starters. Um, you know. Early on, it was Cole and Kluber and just guys like that. But now they've got uh, Domingo Herman is out there right now pitching tonight. He's he's thrown pretty well against the Red Sox, um, and uh, you know they obviously their bullpen is still a major strength for the Yankees. So we'll be getting into that uh, on a little you know more <laughs> disappointing news. The uh, Knicks last week wrapped up their playoff series uh, as they lost in five to the Hawks. The Hawks came out in impressive fashion today, beat the uh, the Philadelphia 76ers as Trey Young went out there, dropped 35 points at 10 assists in uh, his first playoff series outside of the first round. He is such an impressive kid uh, as as that really Hawks team is. They really took it to the Knicks. Um, didn't they showed the Knicks no mercy? And I don't blame them. They they were the better team in that series. They were the deeper team. Uh, you know the the Knicks Julius Randle really came up, um, really came up small. But we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, you know, on the heels right now of Canada winning the uh, the hockey um, IIFW, the hockey championship, the international hockey championship, they're uh, led by Coach Gerard Gallant. Right now, we got some news breaking. Uh, not necessarily breaking, but there's a lot of rumblings going on that Gerard Gallant is the front runner for the Rangers job, which is why uh, you know they haven't named anybody yet, and Chris Drury's been slow playing it until after this uh, this whole tournament had wrapped up uh, overseas, and now that Gallant and these uh, you know and the Canadians have uh, reigned supreme, they had to come back in the third period too. They were down two one in a late goal. Um, you know, so there's a lot, uh, there was a lot riding. They had a lot of adversity in that series. They, Team Canada started off terribly, but Gallant, who, if you remember correctly, too, 
uh, was a, a, f- a former NHL coach. He's got a lot of pedigree. Um, it seems to me like he's the front runner right now for the Rangers job. But as we have that hockey news breaking right now, why not just start with the team that's on the deepest playoff run right now in the playoffs? And that's the New York Islanders. Uh, for the for the New York area, at least, the Islanders are in the second round for the second straight year. Actually, the third straight year. Uh, they lost two years ago. They got swept at, after sweeping Pittsburgh in the first round. They got swept in 2019 by the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, who were a very deep team even back then. That was pre before them even having Brady Shea and a couple of these other guys out there. The the uh, Carolina Hurricanes are a very dangerous team. Uh, but two, two years ago, they dispatched the Islanders in the second round. Uh, the, last year, the Islanders made it to the conference finals. They took out Philadelphia in the second round last year before moving on and falling to Tampa Bay in the uh, in the conference finals. But now this year, the Islanders get a a tested Boston Bruins team, who even though they don't have Zdeno Chara, still a very tough team, still a very deep team, and a little bit on the younger side now. But um, you know, this is a series, too. If you go back to the beginning, uh, it started off 5-2 um, with the the Bruins really cruising in a Game 1 win, uh, taking it to the Islanders, uh, where it really, you know, they, they started Varmolov. He didn't look good. Um, you know, things, it, it really looked like Boston was the superior team. But you know what? The Islanders took a punch and kept on rolling as they lost that game one, but came back in game two, won an overtime in Boston to split those two games in Boston, which is what you have to do in the playoffs. You know, you're not going to win every home game. You're not going to win every away game. But if you can go into another team's building and take a big playoff win, that's when you know you're going to have a deep series, a series that has the ability to go seven games. Um, And with the Islanders right now, they took that first punch, they went out, and in that game, too, also, they blew a 3-1 lead. They had Ilya Sorokin out there, their young rookie goaltender, who just a year or two ago in Russia won their cup, their their Russian Federation championship over there for the KHL. Uh, this is a, a kid that's been through it before in Russia. This is the first time going underneath it in the microscope of the New York market. you really got to tip your cap to him, as right now he's been great, 4-1, 2-3-2 two, two goals against but the the Islanders went and and went back to um, uh, to uh, Semyon Varmalov over the last couple of games, and they lost two one uh, in the first game. Actually, th- these are the first games. These last two games, um, games three and four of this series between the Islanders and the Bruins. These are the first June games that the Islanders have ever played at Nassau Coliseum. Hard to believe, right? Especially if you're old enough to remember the Islanders going on that four-cup run in the 80s. And, you know, being my age, I'm, I'm accustomed to the Stanley Cup Finals always falling in June. I mean, I remember the Rangers winning, and never forget, June 14th, 1994, they won the Stanley Cup. So it's a couple of weeks into June. Um, but not the case back then. Back then, the Islanders won in their Stanley Cup before Memorial Day, even. A couple of them took place mid-May. I think their latest one was May 28th. And, uh, you know, the, the Islanders were still able to win their uh, their Stanley Cup championships back then. But no games ever played by the Islanders at Nassau Coliseum in the month of June. Well, that changed two days ago. 
as uh, the the Islanders ended up winning. Um, uh, I, I, actually, I'm sorry, last night, 4-1. The Islanders beat Bru- the Bruins 4-1 last night, not two nights ago. Uh, they played two games there, though. The Bruins won a tough 2-1 game three there at the Coliseum, where uh, just really, really disappointing. Um, you know, the game ended up going to overtime. They dropped that one. Just a very disappointing ga- uh, end to that game. And the Islanders really came out flying on all cylinders in this game. It was it was tied going into the third period, uh, and the Islanders just exploded as Boston ended up giving up um, you know a couple of empty netters at the end too to 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 make it seem like a real blowout. But uh, you know you've got a lot of production from the Islanders right now. You know a guy that uh, you know he gets some crit- criticism and he's uh, he's uh, he's one of these players that's either going to really hurt you or really help you. Josh Bailey has four goals and three assists through this playoff run, but he's a minus one so. Uh, he's been very good at times. Hasn't stood out in this series yet, though, uh, to to get the minus one. So Bailey, though, is a uh, decent piece right there. But you got a guy like Bavillier right now. Four goals, five assists, nine points in his ten playoff games. It looks like Barzal is really starting to wake up. Uh, you, you know, one of the heroes of uh, of this series, at least too, who scored the overtime winner. Um, Casey Sasikis had the goal. That, that won it late, uh, you know, Cal Clutterbuck is a plus four in this series. That guy is a hell of a player, too. And it's the fourth line. People always rave about that Islander fourth line, and there's a reason for it, because they get the job done. Also, Jordan Eberle, uh, you have to tip your cap to him. And, you know, I know he drives a lot of Islander fans crazy, too, but, um, you know, Semyon Varmalov has really picked his game up the last couple of games. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have seen the picture of him being completely out of position, and uh, I believe it was Krejci, whoever it was on on Boston, hit, hitting the post on a completely wide open net. So sure, there's some good luck that has to play in it. Um, you know, Varmalov and Sorokin have split the first ten games, each playing five. Uh, believe it or not, Varmalov going two and three, and still retaining uh, you know a, a level of trust. From Coach Trotz and Sorokin, four and one in five games. It surprised me that he wasn't back in the game last time. Uh, and now that that Varmolov has gotten on this this little run, I'm su- I, I would be very surprised if he's taken out in Game Five. But you know what? Game Five is going to be. You know they they say they're the some of the obviously Game One means a lot. If it, if it goes that far, Game Six and Seven are going to mean the most. But when you look at the beginning of a series, there are two games that are really pivotal in where a series is going to go. Game three can mean a lot. Depend. I mean, it, you know, either you split the first two games and it's one team trying to grab that lead, or it's another team trying to build a comeback or falling behind the series 0-2. So game three is always pivotal. Then you look at game five, and game five is one of those games where, okay, it's either going to be 3-1 well, there's a couple of options. The series could be over at four, so there's no game five. You could have a three-one series where a team is looking to put the the final touches on a five-game series victory, and then when you look at um, a two-two series like we have right here, this game is pivotal. You know, I remember always hearing that it's I believe it's eighty percent. If you win game five, you go on to win the series, and you know, there are so many stats that back up how winning Game 5 
means so much. I mean, look, it's not the be-all, end-all. We've seen teams lose Game 5 and then come back and win Game 6 and 7. Uh, you know, it's not something that can't happen. But you don't want to put yourself in that situation. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where you have your back against the wall and you have to w- win Game 6 and then you have to go on the road and win Game 7. Now, the Islanders can really put their foot down right here. And if you go in tomorrow night at 6.30, yeah, I know it's a weird time. They got the 6.30 start time for whatever reason. But if the Islanders can go in and put their foot down and win in Boston, which they've already done in this series, you go in there and then you put the pressure on Boston. Because this is a team that came in favored in this series. Obviously, they have they have home ice. Um, you know, e- even though the, the Islanders played them very well, especially early on this season, um, and a lot of people thought that this was a, a very favorable matchup for the Islanders, you know, Boston is a tough team. And this is a team that's playoff tested over the last few years. you got to remember they were the team that, you know, they were in the Stanley Cup final two years ago against the Blues. This is a team that always seems to be primed and ready for a deep playoff run. Tuka Rask is one of those guys that can steal a game, which is what I think he did in Game 3 of this series, where he just went to Nassau Coliseum. You know, they call it the old barn, and that place was going nuts with 12,000-plus fans losing their mind. Uh, you know, we've heard uh, Boston fans complain about the lack of noise coming from their their stadium, uh, you know, their arena up there in Boston, and they got 17,000 people up there. They got more than 5,000 more people in that building than the Islanders do, and it's pretty obvious to most people who watch it that the Islanders' crowd is louder. And, um, you know, you can give a lot of reasons. Maybe they have, uh, you know, a lot of quote-unquote suits going to these games. Um, You know, a lot of Bruins fans aren't too happy with, uh, you know, that that it's not like the real, you know, like in in, in Madison Square Garden, they call it like the, the 300 section, the people... The people up top; those are the ones that really go nuts, not the the suits on the floor. It's a it's a problem at the Garden too, but you know what? The Coliseum doesn't really have that right now. The Coliseum just has a bunch of hockey-starved New York, Long Island crazy fans just losing their mind. And this is a fan you can, this is a, a team that a fan can get behind. You know, when you look out there and see Barry Trotz putting his number four line out there. Usually the the three worst players uh, for, from an offensive perspective, not counting the D, the D men, but usually the three worst players out of your top twelve, your top four, you know all of your offensive lines, and he runs these guys out there with you know little regard because he knows they get the job done against any other line, any top line. You know if they're going up against Washington, you're going to see the Sasikis line going against Alexander Ovechkin. You saw. Earlier in this playoff run, the Sasekis line, that fourth line, those guys getting the job done against guys like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And even in this series, shutting down Krejci, shutting down Marshawn, getting the job done. So you really got to give it to Trotz. Um, he really has a great touch with this series. Um, you know, after the, the playoff run that he's had so far, too, I, I don't think you're going to be getting a lot of people complaining about getting Paul Mary. <laughs> you know, from the Devils, they, they got Travis Zajac, who really hasn't done much. He's got one assist in five playoff games. He's, he's missed half of them, uh, not due to injury or anything 
other than lack of performance. But when you look at Kyle Palmieri, who suited up for all ten playoff games, he scored five playoff goals, including two in the, the first game against the Penguins to really set the tone. He's had a couple of other really well-timed goals where they've needed him. He's a plus five, aside from the fact that he's got seven points, five goals, two assists through ten games. So you know what? Say what you want about Lou, uh, Lou Lamarillo, the, the, the Islanders' general manager. He went out there, and he might have paid a premium price. You know, he might have given up a first-round pick that a lot of people didn't want to give up, just like he did for... J.G. Pajot last year, who, by the way, 10 points, 10 playoff games this year. He's a point-a-game player. Three goals, seven assists. He's a plus six. I think that paid off, too, especially with the uh, the contract they gave him. But Kyle Palmieri has come out and has been a key player for the Islanders in this playoffs. And if they're going to keep going and they're going to move on to the conference final and, dare I say it, a Stanley Cup final appearance, Kyle Palmieri is going to be one of the guys that's going to have to play a big role in that. Uh, he's he's a playoff-tested um, veteran. He's a guy that you can depend on. And uh, he's a guy the Islanders have uh, have definitely leaned on at times. Um, you know, Brock Nelson really standing up there. But, but you know, too, uh, Kyle Palmieri adds leadership where they lost it uh, by losing a guy like Anders Lee, you know, their captain, uh, who it's, it, you know, when he got hurt, I thought that if the Islanders stretched their season, uh, obviously the playoffs weren't starting until May anyway. So I thought that if the Islanders made the... Okay, maybe he wouldn't be ready for the first round, but by the second round, or you know, if they made it to the conference finals, which they're two wins away from right now, their second straight conference you know, you know, final appearance, um, I thought that Anders Lee'd be back, but it just looks like that's not going to be the case. Um, the more and more... Uh, I hear people talk about it. It seems like he's going to be missing the rest of this playoff run, regardless of how long it goes, which if it goes to a Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, could be, you know, mid-July, July 15th, right around there, because uh, the expansion draft is days after that, and then, um, you know, uh, free agency starts shortly after that, so uh, they're going to be having a very shortened season uh, off-season this year, hoping that in October we can start the regular NHL season as it was it would be 82 full games next year as you know we start to get back to some kind of normalcy um i was going to say post covid but i guess we're still not post it yet we're still dealing with it so uh you know we're still in the midst of this but it looks like um come september it'll be training camp and then october regular season hockey again but the, the playoffs this year is going to be extending well into July, uh, at least the Stanley Cup final will. And uh, the Islanders are going to be a part of it. The Islanders are going to be a big part of it. Um, they've got uh, a, a lot of heavyweights on this team. Matt Martin leading the way, also on that fourth line that I was lauding before. Um, this is an Islanders team that you can be very happy about um, with everything that they've accomplished uh, over the last couple of years, really since the... Uh, Ever since John Tavares left the team, and, you know, I know if you are a a big hockey fan, you probably saw um, the Toronto Maple Leafs have that uh, first-round playoff series, uh, a really fun, entertaining seven-game series against the Montreal Canadiens, who, by the way, went up 3-0 tonight on the Winnipeg Jets in their second-round series. So they're one win away from their first conference final appearance since... 
2014 when they lost to the Rangers in six games. <clears throat> Notice how I uh, managed to fit that in. But, um, you know, the, the Islanders went out and um, and just did what they had to do, just like the, the Canadians have done now. But what, what, actually, I lost my train of thought. What I was getting to is you had that scary hit about the, uh, you know, with, with John Tavares, he gets hit by one player, and then as he's falling to the ice, he took a knee to the face from another player, and he was knocked unconscious on the ice. And a very dangerous hit, a very... Uh, dangerous result as he was injured and he was out indefinitely. So no matter how long Toronto played, he he wasn't going to finish that, that that series or the the playoffs in general. But uh, you know it seems like ever since the Islanders lost John Tavares, the first round curse <laughs> went from the Islanders to the Maple Leafs. And I know the Maple Leafs haven't made the haven't made it past the first round in years and years and years, going back to 2004. 2003, actually, I think was the last time they were technically out of the first round. So it's been since 2004 that they haven't made it out. But if you go back and look at the Maple Leafs, man, not only have they not won a Stanley Cup since 1967, over the last 15, 16 years, they just can't get out of their own way. It's a seven-game loss to seven-game loss to seven-game loss, uh, usually against Boston. Boston usually uh, hands them their first-round loss. But uh, this year came at the hands of the Montreal Canadiens, the first time that these these two teams had met in the playoffs in quite some time. As uh, you know, the the Montreal Canadiens now looking to get in the conference finals. Uh, it's uh, it's a little disappointing that you have a team like Montreal getting in the um, the conference final because. They, they really weren't a very good team. Actually, the Rangers were better than them this regular season. And, um... <coughs> excuse me. As, uh... The, uh... The... The... Really don't have that great a team. But you know what they have right now? They have an all-world goaltender in Carey Price who's getting the job done. And, um... You know, when you look at, uh, across the league right now, and you look at the teams that the Islanders are really going to have to deal with during this playoff run. Um, one of the teams they're going to, uh, uh, you know, I mean, so many teams. The, the Edmonton Oilers would have given the Islanders a lot of trouble. Edmonton's out. You know, the um, there are so many teams when you look at. Oh, thank you. Um, that could have given them uh, a, a, a lot of issues, and right now that's not the case. Right now, the the Islanders. Uh, if you were making bets, I mean, one of the teams. There's two teams that scare me in the West, um, Colorado and Vegas. But outside of that, the Islanders have a very good shot of winning the Stanley Cup this year, and that's because of Lou Lamarillo, and because of Barry Trotz and everything that they've done to get the Islanders into this spot. And um, you just have to tip your cap to a well-run team. You know, Scott Ledecky, it all starts from the uh, from the top down. As you look over, really, this is the model that I want the the Mets to follow. As the Mets have Steve Cohen, and it all starts from the top down. Like I said, you have Ledecky, Lou Lamarillo, and Barry Trotz. On the Mets side, you have Steve Cohen, 
Sandy Alderson, and now Luis Rojas. So if you can uh, just stay the path and, you know, do it the, like the Mets are in first place right now. You know, the, the Islanders are, are on this incredible playoff run, which will continue tomorrow night. So you just have to be, uh, you know, you, you just have to keep keep on that on that same track and just keep believing that, you know, you have the right people in place to make the right decisions. And right now the Islanders do, and I'm hoping that it's the same thing for the, the other orange and blue team on the other side of town, um, uh, from uh, Long Island all, all the way to Queens. So a couple of the uh, the, the boroughs, it'd be nice to see, you, you know, hey, if, if I'm a Rangers fan, I make no bones about saying that. But if, you know, it means that we, we get to see the Stanley Cup come back to New York, whether it, it would be such a great story for such a storied team, especially going back to those 80s teams and Al Arbor and uh, obviously Butch Goring, who's still with the Islanders doing the games. It would be such a fun way to close the book on Nassau Coliseum with one more Stanley Cup parade going down Hempstead Turnpike. And uh, I, I wasn't alive to see that the last time it happened in 1983. I was three years away. I was born in 86. But uh, it would be very fun to see that for the first time. And it would be the last time because next year begins anew as the Islanders open up their uh, their great new arena in Belmont. So uh, what a way to close that would be. But if not, you know, it's a hell of a team that you can be very proud of right now if you're an Islander fan. And uh, thank you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to my spiel about there for the Islanders. Uh, with that, I'm going to take my first break of the day. Uh, when we get back on the other side, we'll be talking about the first place Mets, the Yankees going on on Sunday Night Baseball. We'll touch on the Knicks a little bit and a little and, and anything else. And if you want to uh, get on the air and give us a call, give me a call at 516-623-1240. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And uh, I'll be back on the other side. So thanks for sticking with me and catching you in a minute. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back once again. Sports Talk New York. I'm your host, Rob Kramer. And this is This Day in Sports History. This day in sports history, it's D-Day, as we all know. It's June 6th, 1944. For the first time since President Warren G. Harding's death in 1923, Major League Baseball cancels games league-wide as news of the D-Day invasion of northern France trickles back into the U.S. And uh, obviously we remember that was a uh, such an important day and such a, uh, you know, a, a day to be recognized and remembered. D-Day, 1944, one of the pivotal moments of World War II. Also, a day that uh, that Bud ha- that Buddy Harrelson 
former Mets 1969 uh, world champion, 1973 National League champion. Buddy Harrelson was actually born on D-Day, June 6, 1944. So in recognition of that, I'd also like to wish Buddy Harrelson a happy birthday, one of the uh, greatest Mets shortstops of all time. Also, June 6, 1969, five months after being named Super Bowl III MVP, Joe Namath briefly retires from the NFL after a dispute with then-commissioner Pete Rozelle. This was involving his stake in a nightclub called Bachelors Three, and they worked things out eventually, and Joe was with the, uh, the Jets again by late July, but Joe was quoted as saying that this is the first time in his life that he realized life wasn't fair. Seems like Joe had a pretty good life up until that moment. Uh, June 6, 1990, after a 9-8 loss to the Red Sox and Fenway, Bucky Dent, former playoff hero of the Yankees, was fired as Yankee manager by George Steinbrenner, and he was replaced by AAA manager, then AAA manager, Stump Merrill. This would be the 19th managerial change in the 17 years that Steinbrenner had the controlling interest of the Yankees since uh, 73. <clears throat> Stump Merrill would go on to be replaced by Buck Showalter for a couple of years, 92 to 95, but then we remember when George finally got it right in 96 when he hired Joe Torre, and I don't think people were complaining about him hiring and firing guys anymore after that. Uh, June 6, 1992, New York Mets first baseman Eddie Murray drives in his 1510th RBI in a 15 to 1 win over the Pirates. With this RBI, Eddie Murray passed Mickey Mantle for the most RBIs all time by a switch hitter in Major League history. June 6, 2007, the Anaheim Ducks, formerly the Mighty Ducks, beat the Ottawa Senators 6 to 2 and win their first Stanley Cup championship. 4 to 1. And finally on this date, June 6, 2011, then UCLA pitcher Garrett Cole, current Yankee, $300 million man Garrett Cole is picked number 1 overall by the Pittsburgh Pirates and he went 2 before his teammate and still current day rival. Apparently him and this guy don't get along. Trevor Bauer was picked number 3 by the Cleveland Indians. So very interesting this day in sports history. And like I said, thanks for sticking with me here, ladies and gentlemen, on this night. Um, you know, we've got uh, so many things to get into right now. I don't even know if m most people are watching it, but also going on tonight, as I have the Yankees and Red Sox right now, 3-3 at Yankee Stadium on Sunday Night Baseball, they also have that Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather fight going on. Um, so I don't know if people are watching that. The that fight hasn't started yet. It's still on the undercard. I'm surprised it's going on on a Sunday night. Normally, big fights, well, I guess it I guess it shows that it's not a big fight. But normally, you know, you have these big fights and everything always go on Saturday nights. Because Sunday, you know, most people aren't going to be staying up until midnight or 11 or whatever it is on a Sunday night to watch any of these quote-unquote pay-per-view big fights. And Logan Paul, YouTube star, going against Floyd Mayweather, who has been called one of the greatest of all time. He, uh, you know, record-wise, this is a guy that has some of the best, one of the best records of all time. Um, you know, you can you can make 
judgments about guys he's fought and how he's conducted himself in the ring. A lot of people say he plays a game of keep away, wins by points. But you know what? You can't you can't take much away from Floyd Mayweather. The the numbers speak for themselves. He's a great fighter, and I don't think Logan Paul's going to stand a chance against this guy. Um, if he does, it'll raise a few eyebrows for one way or another. Uh, but uh, I, I think that Logan Paul is finally going to meet his match here. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. So if you're watching, it's on, uh, or if you are interested in watching, it's on Showtime pay-per-view tonight. Um, you can check that out. I know you could, if you want, you could check out Floyd Mayweather's Twitter. He tweeted out the link if you want to buy it. I'm sure it's on Logan Paul's as well. Um, but you know, let's get to the Yankees right now, as the New York Yankees. Um, you know, so many. Things have gone on in this in this uh, season for the Yankees. Obviously, they just got Domingo Herman back, and that's been a a really big um, moment for the Yankees because they're they're starting rotation, especially with Kluber on the DL right now. You know, they they haven't gotten everything they've wanted out of Jamison Tyone. Uh, Jamison Tyone has uh, has been very good at times. He's also been uh, you know hit easily at times. Um, you know, they've had very different, you know, like, like Tyone, for instance, for instance, yesterday, the guy goes out there five and a third inning, six hits, three runs, one walk, three strikeouts. His ERA is still sitting over five, 5.09. Um, you know, the, the Red Sox are still a good team. The Red Sox right now, many people, including myself, wrote the Red Sox off this year. I thought they'd still be in it. Um, but I didn't think Tampa Bay or Boston would be in it. I thought we'd see a two-team race, really, between the Yankees and Toronto. But right now, Tampa Bay has just... Tampa Bay was a 500 team. And then the Mets came to town. They Tampa Bay ripped the Mets' head off, swept them three straight, which would, which has been difficult because the Mets have actually been a good team this year. So it's not like I'm dumping on the Mets. Because the, the Mets have been a good team, and it just shows how good Tampa Bay is that the Mets went into Tampa, and Tampa took them apart. I mean, we just saw the Mets, and I'll get into them in a couple of minutes, but we just saw the Mets stand toe-to-toe with Sa- San Diego for a four-game series where they split it after dropping the first two. And, man, th- these four games could have all been playoff games. All close games, all low-scoring affairs. Um <clears throat> You know the, the the biggest one being today, where the Mets ended up especially getting that that late two run home run by James McCann. Um, but you know, Tampa Bay uh, had has to be a good team to do what they did to the Mets, uh, and it just shows right now the 15 games over 500, the 38 and 23, and they lead the Yankees, who right now per, you know percentage and games back wise are tied with Toronto, um, six games back, and the Yankees have lost seven of their last ten, including the last three. They're trying to avoid a sweep right now at the hands of the Red Sox. And, you know, things were going relatively well for the Yankees before this. They had gone on a uh, on a nice little streak where, um, but, you know, they were playing lesser teams. And the Yankees, you know, much like the Mets, too, the Mets really made their bones a lot this year against teams with lesser records. But, um, you know, before this, though, the, the Yankees did finally get a, a kind of a monkey off their back when they split that series against Tampa Bay after also, too, I, you know, the Yankees swept the White Sox, who are a very good team, and then th- that was also after they took 3-4 to four from Texas. Then they go out 
and get swept three straight in Detroit. Now, the Yankees are really feeling that right now because Tampa Bay went out that, that weekend and swept Philadelphia. So you you get swept by Detroit. The the Rays turn around and sweep Philadelphia. So you go from being three games out and right in that mix to six games out. And six games out in June isn't insurmountable. But you don't want to you don't want to put yourself in that situation, especially just for a bad three days. And um, you know you have Garrett Cole going out there and uh, and he dropped one of those games, but he only allowed one run. You know the the Yankees went out and um, split a doubleheader with Toronto, but you know you've got to go out there and win this game. They had a three-one lead tonight against Boston, and just have not been able to get the job done. You know, if you're watching it right now, Aaron Judge led off this inning with a walk, and you just have Boston making a big play again out there in the outfield, taking a base hit away from Gio Urshela, and, you know, it seems like, you know, Alex Cora is in the same position as he was a couple of years ago, and it doesn't matter what button he presses, it's the right button. And, uh... You know, Boston's not playing at a 108-win clip right now like they were a couple of years ago. I doubt they're going to get that high, or maybe even 100. But uh, Boston's going to be in that mix. And when you have Boston playing well, and Tampa Bay playing well, and the Yankees are playing mediocre, something's got to change. The Yankees got to go out there. They're they're trying to to fix their first base position. They've already had six guys, uh, you know, over there at first base that year, they've had LeMahieu, they had Jay Bruce, who retired because of it. They've had Mike Ford. You know, tonight they've got this guy Giddens, who they brought up from from AAA, who was 0 for 3. He was having he was hitting decent in AAA though. But the Yankees are searching for answers. They're searching for answers right now. You know, still Gary Sanchez hitting hitting 212. Um, Glaber Torres even 268. I mean, it's not it's not awful. But Glaber Torres is a guy that you want in the 290s or over 300. Even DJ LeMahieu, 256. This is a guy who led the league in hitting last year. He hit 364. And it, obviously it was a, a, a shortened 60-game season last year. But they need guys like LeMahieu to step up. You know, you've got Clint Frazier out there who's taking another offer today, hitting 180 in this lineup. They had to bring up Miguel Andujar from AAA and stick him in left field. This is a guy who's not an outfielder. I mean, he's he's a, he's not a very good defensive infielder anyway. So I guess, much like the uh, the Mets figure with Dom Smith, who they can't get in the lineup not because of his defensive problems, but because Pete Alonso has first base on lockdown right now. Uh, they stick Dom Smith in left field. Now, the Yankees are trying to do the same thing, sticking Andujar out there, and you've got Brett Gardner, who <laughs> I mean. Every year, it seems like there's a decision for the Yankees to make on Brett Gardner, where some fans are saying, "Oh, how could you not bring Brett Gardner back? He's been a Yankee since 2008. He's, you know, he's he was on the last championship team. He's been there. He's done that. He's all reliable. He's a guy you can count on." Well, you know, Brett Gardner is uh, one of these other guys too that other Yankee fans take great issue with. What is this guy doing on the team still? He's you know he hasn't been, you know, ridiculously productive the last couple of years. It, it doesn't warrant bringing him back again. Well, he, he he had always managed to keep his head above water, and 
do well. I mean, obviously, some seasons more than others. Especially the last couple of years, he's he's taken he hasn't taken many steps back in his offensive performance. But this year, right now, we're in June, and he's hitting 190. 190. The Yankee center fielder. This is a guy. He's. It's not like he's played part time. You know, he's he has 126 at bats. He's only stolen a base. This is a guy. You know, he's 37 years old, so he's not going to be stealing many. But in 126 at bats, he's hitting under 200 with one home run and four RBIs. And you know, his OPS. You know, if you know what OPS is, it's on base plus slugging percentage. I know a lot of old timers, and I'm not big on it either. Don't like this OPS stat, but you know, if you're a productive player, you're going to have an OPS somewhere around 800 or 900. I mean, the really elite players are over a thousand. Right now, you got Brett Gardner, who's your starting center fielder, with a 558 OPS. That's that's garbage. You know, the Yankees can't be running lineups out there. You know, the the Yankees lineups actually, the, the Mets went through this stretch for two or three weeks, and they're still kind of in it right now, where they had a complete makeshift lineup, where it was guys that you'd never heard of, that they just plugged in the lineup and kept their fingers crossed and hoped they won, and miraculously, they actually did for a, for a lot of those times, and like I said, we're still kind of in it, but the Yankees are running out lineups right now where you have half the guys just complete garbage, I mean... You look at the bottom the bottom half of their own lineup. Once you get past LeMahieu, Judge, Torres, and Urshela, starting with Gary Sanchez, these are the batting averages. 210 for, for Sanchez. Giddens, 0. Clint Frazier, 180. Andahar, 241. Gardner, 190. And it would be even worse if they had Lou Ford starting tonight, because you can't really hold it against Giddens. He's only 0 for 3. But Lou Ford is hitting... In the 100s, and I mean the low 100s, not like he's hitting 190 like Gardner, where a couple of hits and he's back over the Mendoza line, which is the two, which is 200 mark. But you know, for for you know, the Yankees right now, they have to make a deal. A deal has to be coming. Um, it's becoming imperative. Where if I'm the Yankees, there's two things that I'm looking for. Uh, hopefully, well before the trade deadline, and those two things I'm looking for are. A left-handed pitcher, because the Yankees, you know, Yankee Stadium, the way the, the way the ball plays there, you're gonna need a uh, a, a lefty in there. That's why the Yankees have always been big on lefties. You know, Gidry, Pettit, Whitey Ford, you know, uh, CC Sabathia. If you want to get you know more, more recent, these are the guys that the Yankees have leaned on, especially in the playoffs first <laughs> decades you know at this point and uh you know you go you go back to lefty grove from way back in the day but um when you look at uh the yankees as they're presently constructed this doesn't look like you know coming into the season i thought this was a team that really had a shot i thought this was a team that really especially when league when when luke voigt was healthy in that lineup and everything i thought this was a team that really had a shot at Dominating the American League East from wire to wire, where you know you could really sit there and uh, you know appreciate this this Yankee team flexing its muscle all year. Well, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case, especially with the way Boston and Tampa Bay have played, and especially with the way the Yankees have played against those two teams. 
And, you know, once again, the Yankees just leave a runner on base last inning. Uh, a guy that they traded to Boston, which is another trade I didn't understand. They oh, Just a terrible play there by the Yankees as uh, they make a big error, and uh, Boston ends up with a runner on second. So, you know, the Yankees look like they're trying to give this away, but the guy that put up a zero in the last inning for Boston is a guy that used to wear number zero for the Yankees and currently wears number zero for Boston, Adam Adovino. This is a guy the Yankees signed a couple of years ago to a big-time relief contract. He's making upwards of $9 million a year. The Yankees, I guess, because he uh, he wasn't too effective last year and uh, had his problems in the playoffs, too. Um, I, the, the Yankees unloaded him to Boston as really a, a salary-cutting move. And you know what? To me, you know, I can understand the Wilpons when they owned the Mets. Thank God they don't anymore. But when the Wilpons owned the Mets, you could understand um, cost-cutting moves. Uh, you didn't like it, but you knew the state of the Wilpons, and you know the state of their finances, so you pretty much knew it was coming, and you made peace with it. The Yankees, to me, why are the Yankees making cost-cutting moves? I, I know. It's different this year, too, because every year, every team is coming off um, you know, a big money-losing season in 2020 from having no fans and only playing 60 games and losing a lot of revenue. So you can understand the Yankees being a little strapped. But $9 million to the Yankees is a drop in the bucket. And maybe the Yankees didn't think they were getting their bang for their buck. But to turn around and trade him to Boston, a useful piece where now they're using him. I mean, you're going to play Boston 19 times. Unless you're that confident that when they put in Adam Adovino, you're going to tear him up. And it's going to be like your secret weapon. Like you just traded him there just to beat him up. You know, okay, maybe that's one thing. If that if it worked out that way, you'd, you'd look like a genius. But instead, you send him to Boston, and he's going out there and putting up zeros against you. And he's actually having a pretty good year for the Red Sox and has become a valuable member of that rotation, uh, of of that bullpen. So, I don't know. I, I, I still think that Brian Cashman is one of the best GMs in, uh, in baseball, but a very, very um, questionable move there as I... Uh, I got a little carried away talking about the Yankees there and dipped into my Mets time a little bit. So you know what? As the Yankees right now, still 3-3 here on Sunday Night Baseball, trying to keep with Wandy Peralta in there, the runner at third. Let me talk about the Mets, who really deserve to be talked about. Um, the, the Mets right now, I, I'm just so proud of this team, and I'm sure a lot of people that listen to me on a consistent basis on this show probably aren't used to me saying this. <laughs> probably aren't used to me um, loading compliments onto the Mets because for the last couple of years, I- I've been doing this on WGBB since 2017, um, I really haven't had a lot of good things to say about the Mets except for a couple of months in 2019 when they made a really nice run and ultimately fell a couple of games short of a playoff berth, three to be exact. Um 2020 was a complete disaster of a season as the Mets finished with uh, you know 26 and 34 one of the worst records in baseball that year um, you know but um, right now you look at the Mets everything is falling into place for them and somehow they're doing it with guys like Jeff McNeil on the injured list Michael Conforto on the injured list um, you could go on and on still not having anything from Carlos Carrasco who, you know, 
a lot of people thought was going to be playing a very big role in this season. Same thing with uh, with Noah Syndergaard, who just had a setback in his rehab, as we see uh, the Yankees just went down 4-3, um, which also means, too, by the way, that if the, the game ends with this score, that Adam, Adam Adovino will be getting the win against his former team today. So keep that in mind. But uh, with with the with the, back to the Mets, you know, Taiwan Walker. How good of a signing has Taiwan Walker been? This guy has, you know, uh, of course he had his little stint on the injured list, just like everybody else did, just like Jacob Degrom. And um, when you look at uh, the the things that Taiwan Walker has done, and you know, e- even before we get to Degrom. Going out there today, Marcus Stroman, who you know, Stroman has his uh, his ups and downs um, as a, as a pitcher. You know, obviously, a lot of people were upset with last week how he um, seemingly woke up the uh, the Diamondbacks by staring down Rojas after he grounded out. Um, you know, and and really woke them up, leading to giving up a three run home run the following inning. <laughs> cut a, a, a four nothing lead down to four three. Um, it it really really uh, just the pitching at least the Mets pitching went toe to toe this weekend with the San Diego Padres who have the best pitching in, in baseball right now and really showed that they can go toe to toe with them and that they're no slouch as well. And as we talk about no slouches, here is some numbers from Jacob Degrom. Jacob DeGrom now has a 0.62 ERA through his first nine starts of the season. That's the best ERA by any pitcher in his first nine starts of the season since earned runs became official in 1912 in the NL and 1915, uh, I'm sorry, 1913 in the American League. Hall of Famer Juan Marichal had the previous record in 1966 having a 0.69 ERA. So DeGrom is in real, real elite company. Um, you know, when, And when you look at another thing, too, only two pitchers since 1901 have struck out 90-plus batters, which DeGrom has, while walking fewer than 10 batters in their first nine starts this season. Kurt Schilling did it last time in 2002, and the only other guy to do it in Major League history is Jacob DeGrom. Eight walks, 93 strikeouts. You really have to just marvel at what this guy has done over the last couple of years. You know, you're not going to do a lot of things, too. I mean, you compare it number-wise to Juan Marichal. Obviously, we all know that back in the day, guys like Marichal, guys like Seaver, you know, if you want to go back further than that, Bob Feller, Walter Johnson. These guys were all throwing a lot more innings than guys like DeGrom has today. I mean, you look even in the start that he had had yesterday. DeGrom, seven innings, 11 strikeouts, no runs allowed, was dominating as all hell, only threw 85 pitches, and they pulled him. I mean, back in the day, Tom Seaver's throwing a complete game. You know, Juan Marichal's throwing a complete game. But the fact of the matter is that that's how the game's played today. And you can't hold it against Jacob DeGrom for excelling in the way that the game is being played today at the highest level. And that's what this is right now. Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. Bar none, not even close. 
Number two is Garrett Cole. And you might as well put him at three, because right now there's no one even close to DeGrom. There's DeGrom one, no one two, and Garrett Cole three. Uh, that that's the that's how good Degrom is right now, and um, it's just good to see. You know, obviously, like everybody else in the Mets, he had that little stint on the injured list last year. He had that little, you know, hiccup where a lot of people were worried, and then he came out and in his in his rehab start against a single A Cardinals team, the Palm Beach Cardinals, he faced nine batters in three innings and struck out eight of them, and these guys were just blown away at how good Jacob deGrom was. And that's that's the level this guy's on right now. You look, I mean, this guy's got a 92-mile-an-hour slider, like, and it just breaks right off the plate. You can't do anything with it. It drops. There's there's nothing you can do. You're left there looking like a fool when you swing at it because it, it's, it, it looks like it's halfway out of the batter's box by the time you get done swinging, uh, swinging. And but when but by the time you first saw it and started to swing, it looked like it was going to be a strike. That's how good Degrom is right now. He sets you up with that stuff. Sometimes he even finishes you finishes you off with that stuff. He went and threw one curveball yesterday. One thing about Degrom since 2017, you know when he really started to evolve into this this new version of Degrom, where which really started in 2018 when he won his first Cy Young, because. Uh, 2017 is where we start to see him take a big step forward. It was actually on this day in 2018, no, no, 2017, I'm sorry, it was four years ago today, that Jacob DeGrom made a start in Texas, believe it or not. It was an interleague series between the Mets and the Rangers. DeGrom got rocked. Four innings, eight runs, and, you know... His ERA it had ballooned up a little bit. It was still pretty good on the outside, but he had gone through a stretch where he was just getting batted around. And when you think about that today, it seems unfathomable. But I'll never forget, I remember seeing the SNY cameras focusing in on a clearly very upset Jacob deGrom um, sitting on the bench looking like he had no answers. And I remember seeing Terry Collins go over to him, the, the Met manager at the time, and putting his arm around him and, uh, you know, just talking to him and imparting some wisdom. Uh, you know, Terry's a guy that's been around the game for decades, especially at this point, and uh, really, I think, helped put things in perspective for Jake. And I'm not saying that I think that that's the reason, like, oh, you know, Terry Collins put his arm around him and suddenly he's the best pitcher in baseball. No, but I think that that was the first step that DeGrom really, uh, after he got humbled by the league, you know, this is a guy that came in, won rookie of the, uh, won, you know, he won rookie of the year in 2014. He had, uh, you know, 14 and 8, two and a half ERA. Uh, then they, they go to the World Series the next year, and DeGrom has the, obviously, he pitched in the, um, the, the All Star game that year, where he really caught everybody's eye and was hitting 100 for the first time. And, um, you know, this is a guy that's added almost five miles an hour to his fastball when he's coming in. He threw 30 pitches yesterday of 100 or more. That's Nolan Ryan kind of stuff. That's Noah Syndergaard five years ago kind of stuff. You know, so just uh, just take a moment. I know we're, we're coming to the end here, and I appreciate everybody sticking around here um, and listening to me here on this late Sunday night, but you know what? 
this is this the end of this has become Jacob Degrom Appreciation Hour um, because the Mets are in first place. Degrom has a lot to do with it. Five and two, and a zero point six two ERA. Now think about that. Degrom has a zero point six two ERA and has two losses. And you know what those two losses are? Two one nothing losses. The only time Jacob Degrom has lost this year, it was twice, and he lost one nothing in both games. That's how good this guy's been this year. And you know what? Maybe he's not throwing the amount of innings that Tom Seaver is. You know, maybe he's not throwing the amount of innings that even that even um, you know, uh, what's it called? Um, that. Uh, even Dwight Gooden did. But what we're seeing right now is greatness. And I want to thank you for sticking with me here and listening to this. Respect Jacob DeGrom right now. Enjoy the week, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the, his- the history you see of him. And have a great one. I'll catch you next time. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.